0: It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. Intending to persecute them, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, She was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, It must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place.
1: The text of the chapter is violence against the church in an oppressive regime. Herod's actions as he pursued Christians included arrest, persecution, imprisonment, and even death. Herod saw that killing James pleased the Jews. And so he went after Peter and had him imprisoned. It's very interesting that natural enemies collaborate to stand against the gospel. I suppose Psalm 2 summarizes this as well as anything, because there we read, The kings of the earth take their stand and gather together, Against the Lord's anointed. That's what that passage is saying. That known enemies come together. To oppose what God is doing. And so in Acts. And in other parts of the New Testament. The specter of persecution. Is never far away. And it's been the same. Throughout the history of the church. And it's still the same today. So there are persecution from Governments, from religious extremists, uh, from a local community, and even from family members. There are examples of suffering and persecution today in communist environments, Hindu environments, Buddhist contexts, and Islamic environments as well. Afghanistan and North Korea are two of the most dangerous places in the world for our christian brothers and sisters and open doors point out that seven of the countries that will be playing in this year's world cup persecute christians iran saudi arabia morocco tunisia mexico cameroon and even the host nation qatar and that persecution comes in many different forms So, surveillance and intimidation are part of what some Christians have to face. Or governments publicly denounce Christians to stir up prejudice and hate against them. Churches uh, sometimes have to deregister. And then when they go to register again, the criteria has increased. For example, you can't register as a church until you've got a hundred people meeting together. And in some places, that's very, very difficult. In Pakistan, for example, there are false accusations of blasphemy made against Christians. Some people are banned from practicing Christian worship. And one of the saddest means of persecution is that the Christians are not given anywhere to bury their dead. And so it goes on, many different means of persecution and suffering in oppressive regimes. So we ask ourselves the question this morning, is persecution normal? And in principle, the answer is yes. Essentially, the world is hostile to God, and therefore to us and so we can expect opposition not only in principle but as i've illustrated in practice the answer is yes and so christians daily face discrimination persecution and even imprisonment so acts 12 reflects the normal environment in which the church exists So an oppressive regime. Secondly, a praying church. We read about that. In his attack on the church, Herod uses violent tactics, swords, chains, imprisonment. And given its fledgling state and its lack of religious or political clout, what can the church do? Actually, later in Acts, we read that Paul appeals to his right as a citizen. He appeals to normal, due, legal process. But the church here, as Luke records it, the church's response, immediate response is to pray. One of the greatest challenges for minorities generally, and in this case suffering Christians, is having no recourse to justice where corruption exists and it's just not possible to have a voice. That must be one of the most frustrating and debilitating things possible. If we have something against us, we have means of recourse in this country. In other places, that is not possible. And that's why prayer is crucial. Because when every other door closes, the door to heaven is wide open. And they took advantage of that door, and they prayed. We read that many were praying. We read that they prayed earnestly. That word earnestly apparently is a medical term that describes the stretching of a muscle to its limit. John MacArthur tells us that in his commentary. So the idea is absolutely stretching ourselves in prayer being serious about it. Like the Lord Jesus, it's used of the Lord Jesus in Gethsemane, that depth of earnestness in prayer. I wonder if sometimes we find prayer powerless. Is that because we lack earnestness in our prayer? Why should we expect God to care about things that we barely care about as we come to pray? Someone has said, never underestimate the power of a praying church that is serious about its business. Never underestimate the power of a praying church that is serious about its business. Although they prayed, it seems as if they didn't expect an immediate answer. The answer to their prayers is actually standing at the door and their expectation is so low that they don't open the door and let Peter in. And yet God in his generosity often gives us more than we expect. And we should remember to give thanks. What can we learn from the church's response to Peter's situation where they prayed? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 and 26 has a comment to us this morning on this Suffering Church Sunday. 1 Corinthians 12 says there should be no division in the body, the body being Christians everywhere, but its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Should prayer for the suffering church be part of every single prayer meeting? Should we have one item or one country or one person that we're praying for? I was encouraged to note online that the Evangelical Alliance and Open Doors Christian Solidarity Worldwide and Release International are calling us all to pray on Sunday the 6th of November from 7.30 to 8.30 p.m. Will you join in that experience? The response of the church to a crisis is to pray. Is that normal? It should be. So uh, an oppressive regime a church that prays. And then we read that there was a powerful response to the prayers of this church. Peter was between two soldiers bound with chains and there were sentries guarding the prison. There was no way out for him. But we read that Peter is sleeping. That's an answer to prayer itself. That's a miracle in itself. And yet, in verse 7, we read, The angel appeared, there was light in the cell. I don't know if you noticed, this hit Peter on the side, it says. His chains fell off. Was it prayer that made the difference? He's told to get dressed, which he does. Peter follows, but he's got no idea what's happening. Was it a dream, or was it real life? I wonder if you've ever been dreaming and you're waking up and say, was that real or was that just a dream? That's what Peter was like. He passed through the first and second set of guards and by itself the prison gate opened. We don't know whether the guards were blind or distracted. We don't know how the gate was opened. But we read that he was suddenly outside and then the angel left left him verse 11 is very interesting it says he came to himself in other words it dawned on him what was happening and where he was and he says now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the clutches of Herod and the Jews intention then he went to where the church was meeting the house of Mary John's mother and they disbelieved rhoda that it was peter that was at the outside he had been delivered from prison but it was true because to the to the prayers of god's people there was a powerful response it's such a powerful response i think it is um, if you read some of the stories of richard Wombrandt, who tells about Christians in prison in Russia in very cold, terrible conditions, they actually, some of them felt warm, miraculously felt warm. I remember a story from Indonesia of, um, I think it was the, international, the, the national director of OMF. Uh, he tells of a story where Christians were under pressure And there was a group who came to this particular house, and when they came, they saw soldiers all around it. There were no soldiers there, but that's what they saw. And God preserved those in the house. I've got my mum with me this morning, and I remember speaking to her about this kind of thing. And she says, Oh, I can't be doing with all this talk of supernatural. And I know what she meant. And I'm embarrassing her this morning. But our faith is supernatural. We expect God to do wonders. He does answer prayer, sometimes in ways that we don't even expect. So there was a powerful response to the prayers of God's people. I just wonder um, how we would respond this morning to this whole topic. Are there things that we can do that really we ought to do as part of the body of Christ. And our next slide shows us some of these things that we can can do. We can be educated as to where the church is being persecuted. We can support an organization that resource and help those who are going through persecution. We can write letters to the government or our MP on behalf of Christians who are persecuted, and often they listen and often they respond. We can provide help for a family whose father has been imprisoned and other different things. An oppressive regime, a praying church, a powerful response. But this passage leaves us with a great big question. And the question is, why did James die? And why was Peter preserved. Howard Marshall in his commentary on Acts suggests that despite the death of James and the imprisonment of Peter, the gospel is progressing. That's what Luke wants to show us. And if you read verse 22 of Acts chapter 12, it says, the word of God continued to spread and flourish. That's what he's trying to get across. And in the life of faith, the church does take casualties in its progress. And the reason for that is because of evil, which has significant freedom in our world. The brutal death of James is an indication of the power of evil opposition. Evil can be mystifying, even terrifying, but we need to remember it is not unlimited. Evil does not have the final word. Before the crisis in Ukraine, I remember um, hearing talks about Ukraine and so on because of my work. Do you know that Ukraine had the largest Christian population, evangelical Christian population, in Central and Eastern Europe? It was a sending country, the largest sending country of missionaries from Central and Eastern Europe. Is it possible that that's partly the reason that there's a problem there today? So we live in the reality of a fallen world. And sometimes we ask big questions. I remember when the Lockerbie disaster happened. And I, as a young man, was asking questions, why does God allow this, and so on. And in many senses, that question in my mind was only because of the enormity of the event because every saturday night people would be stabbed in 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 glasgow and behind that is just the evil of an individual and in that sense they were just very much the same and so this leaves us with a question why was james allowed to die and peter released both were dedicated servants of the church. The answer must be the sovereignty of God. It must be. No matter how difficult the circumstances, as, we, as believers, the Bible teaches, teaches us that God is in control. We may not always feel He is. The evidence may not look as if He is. We may not understand His ways, but his purpose is being worked out. In the 1950s and the 60s and the 70s, when the church in China went through so much persecution and even martyrdom, people wondered what will happen to the church in China. Today, the largest church in the world is in China. We think of the cross of the Lord Jesus himself, As you look at the cross, it looked as if everything was so dark and bleak as Jesus was crucified. But as part of God's purpose, we've got the resurrection and Jesus rose. So what do we do with the big questions? In this case, when it seemed God had allowed the death of James and preserved Peter, we remind ourselves of at least three things we remind ourselves that God is impartial. Peter said in Acts chapter 10, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. Wasn't it God liked James and he didn't like Peter or whatever way around? Paul in Romans chapter 2 and verse 11 says, there is no partiality with God. It wasn't personal. And sometimes when we suffer or we look at suffering, uh, we have the wrong view of how that looks. So God is impartial. Secondly, God is not a passive observer in this situation. Sometimes when we pray, we think the heavens are like brass. But if you read verse 23 in this chapter, you'll read that God acted and he brought judgment on Herod. God will hold all of us to account. Even the worst dictators will discover in this life or in the next life that they do not hold ultimate power or authority. Their power has limits and God is with us in the situation. That's what he said. I will be with you. And thirdly, God has a purpose that we might never know or see. One of the the thrills of reading Hebrews chapter 11 is this, that there were men and women who were called by faith and did as God asked them to do, even though they didn't know what the outcome would be. Abraham was called to a place that he did not know of. Verse 39 of Hebrews chapter 11 says, These were all commended for their faith, yet yet none of them received what had been received promised. Sometimes there are no answers. Sometimes we have to wrestle. Sometimes God does step in. And sometimes His presence is felt and near. One of my favorite passages in the Psalms is Psalm 73. And in Psalm 73 there's a believer whose faith almost goes. He says, my foot almost slipped. Because he was living as a Christian, and he saw others who were rogues, and they were being blessed, or so it seemed to him. And he's asking a big question. Why am I in this situation, and yet they are prospering? And he says, my foot had almost slipped. And then halfway through the psalm, things changes. It says, when I tried to understand this, it troubled me deeply. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. The view that he had was a warped view. It was not what reality was. And he understood that those who seemed to be prospering ultimately wouldn't prosper. And so as we think about this big question, God calls us to do three things. He calls us to pray. He calls us to trust. And he calls us to wait. And it may even be that he calls us to suffer. That's very challenging. But as we look at history, as we read Scripture we discover that that's what God calls us to do. In our context here, we generally don't experience persecution. Although, I think opposition from secular humanism will become more serious for us. We will need to stand up against the current paper, for example, that's going through the Scottish Parliament, where People can change their gender currently if they live in a particular way for two years and then they have a medical uh, interview and then their case is before a panel. It seems from what's happened this week that that will change or there is a proposal that that will change. So people will be able to self-certificate without any Reference to a medical or other examination. And so, if we were opposing things like that, then I think, as we should, I think things will change for us. And there may come a time when we'll need to take lessons from our suffering brothers and sisters. Others around the world who have suffered and stood. We may need to look to them for encouragement and ask them to pray for us. This is a challenging subject. Challenging for those who face persecution. And As we sung some of these songs earlier, which were so well chosen, we need to enter into where our brothers and sisters globally are and not just remember this topic uh, once a year but remember it's our reality because we are part of the body of christ as we pray we're going to have a final slide which just shows us some of the organizations who care for and who support the suffering church um, and we can support them as they support others let's just uh, bring this part of our service to a close as we pray. Lord, it's in many senses easy to stand here and pontificate about uh, the suffering church when we don't suffer. And we just come this morning or this afternoon now to pray for those who are imprisoned for their faith, to pray for those who can get no justice because the society in which they live is ranged against them. Lord, we give you thanks for their strength and for their courage. And Lord, we pray that you would have mercy upon them. We pray that you would give them courage to remain faithful to you, that you would draw alongside them and make them aware of your support and your comfort. And we pray that you would enable us to be earnest to stand with them and to care enough to pray for them. So we ask this as we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.